Hi everyone, welcome to the DSM Culture Cast, where we interview leaders, creators, in Greater Des Moines, arts, culture, food, and philanthropy scenes. I'm Luke Mainerfeld with DSM Magazine. Today's guest was super, super fun to chat with. He's Robert Moore, a local artist who has made a name for himself for his activism within Iowa. His project last year, Harvesting Humanity, helped spread the message of the Black Lives Matter movement throughout the state. One striking image was a picture of George Floyd displayed on grain bins in Dallas County. We talk about his use of art as counter-addiction, his art inspiration, and creative process. You can also read our profile on Robert from last year at dsmmagazine.com. Just search the title Raw and Real. If you missed our last episode, we chatted with local artist Levi Robb, who creates out of the unexpected like junk cars, black sand, and more. As always, if you want to listen to more episodes like this one, be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast platforms. We are wherever you get your audio. Also, be sure to check out more great content on our social media platforms like Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. All right, enjoy the conversation with Robert. Coming right up. I'm here with Robert. Robert, it's a pleasure to have you on. How are you doing? I'm doing good. Thanks. I wanted to start off by giving our audience a chance to get to know you a little bit. And as I was reading up on you before the podcast, you have a really powerful story. Uh, you got into art as kind of an outlet or an escape, correct? Can you take us through a little bit about how you got into art and why it was so significant in your life? Uh, yeah. So um, I think like most people, I was looking for a hobby, something to do, um, golf, all those things, shopping, different things people do. And I experimented with art three or four years ago um, while I was just part-time as a hobby and just dibbling and dabbling in it. And I had a corporate job. So my background's in consulting on the IT side. So coming into larger enterprises and helping with transformations or modernizing procedures, products, cultures, systems, etc. So um, I actually hated it. Uh, I made good money, but it was my sunken place. Um, when people think about fulfillment and purpose, I had a job, I had a title, I had a good compensation, but at the end of the day, it was actually feeding alcoholism and drug addiction, which was already present in myself. Um, but the unhappiness and the stress and the pressure of that job and the lack of fulfillment and purpose, the way, the way it meant to me, really honestly fed those addictions with alcoholism and drug addiction. So what I decided is about a year and a half ago, or a little over a year anyway, um, was to get sober. And part of being sober is being honest with yourself and vulnerable, but also understanding your triggers in healthy environments and healthy hobbies or activities, things that don't hurt anybody else, right? Um, my alcoholism and addiction was not only hurting me, it was hurting others. So I found something else and just went back to that um, passion I had with art and was more addicted to it because it was a counter addiction to a much um, unhealthier addiction and alcoholism. So I became addicted and obsessed and was painting every day and practicing and self being self-taught, always challenging new techniques and being inspired um, in a really, really wide world um, internationally on, online and, and historically, um, et cetera. So that's kind of how it all started. Um, started painting to counter alcoholism and drug addiction. Had you always been interested in art? Yeah, I've always had an affinity with the arts, clearly. 
Um, my dad was a martial arts instructor, so Chinese martial arts, also known in Western world as Kung Fu. Um, so there, that's an art, um, culinary arts, um, barbering, haircutting, drawing, sketching, building. There, there was many different arts, art forms I was attracted to. Um, even in my corporate practice, it, in the community of practice, it was considered a science and an art and how you applied the skill. My natural skill was much better with the art, which was the feeling, the intuition, the relationship, the heart part of it. <laughs> um, and that all seemed to come back again to art. It's funny as if I look back at through it all, it's always been there. Just as what, what was that connection? And it was something that was art. What was that transition like using art as that counter addiction? Was it uh, a really tough transition for you or was it something that you found uh, easy? I don't want to say easy because addiction is not easy, but I guess what was that transition like for you? Um, it wasn't easy. Um, in fact, this, this was my third time attempting to be sober and my most secure and confident and stable time of being sober. It's a one time a day. One time, one day at a time prescription, you know, um, you li it's a literal thing you have to take one day at a time. So the transition wasn't terrible, but part of it was also taking a DNA test and um, understanding what my African roots were. For me, I had practiced or played around with abstract work. And once I had a DNA test and I actually had uh, familiarity or connection or I could, I could view and see people when I closed my eyes were people that were from tribes and areas and regions. For example, if you have um, Icelandic blood and you close your eyes and you picture a Viking, for example, that, that's, that's an experience, right? That is, that's a journey that can take you different places throughout life or just for a moment in time. And that, was, that happened with me when I had a DNA test. So my art actually started to evolve once I became more interested in the subject and something that I was once considered weak at, which was painting faces or portrait or figurative work, I now became more obsessed with and wanted to challenge myself because I cared about the subject. And these were African boys and girls um, with narrative and story tied to the diaspora um, and African history, as well as American history. So correct me if I'm wrong, you grew up in California, but you're now in Des Moines, right? No, so I grew up in Des Moines. Um, I have family. I have family in California, and so I often am in between. Pre-COVID, um, I would have been out there. Um, I have a studio set up out there in my cousin's garage. My easel, my paint supplies—they've been sitting there for about eight months, nine months. So I painted a couple pictures earlier out that year. Three paintings I flew out earlier this year and painted, sold one there, took a couple back, um, and I'm looking forward to getting back. So, but Des Moines is home. It's my home base. I just, my heart is in California. My family is here in Iowa. What was the, when did you transition to full-time artists and actually selling your work? Because I know that's not an easy transition for a lot of people. Yeah. So in April, um, after painting for about a month, and I say not painting for a month, like over the whole course, but more dedicated, focused. COVID gave me a little bit more flexibility with time. I've always worked in a remote, remote model environment, but it gave me a little bit more flexibility to have an easel up in between conference calls to touch up all my paint, et cetera. Like I think a lot of us are doing work from home. We're just trying to survive, do what we can when we can. 
Um, so in April, I decided to promote my work. My work is unapologetically um, honest and vulnerable and narrative, both in personal trauma, as well as my identity as a black man and my culture and my roots. That doesn't sell very much here in Iowa. We're a conservative state that's very vanilla or, or white. There's not a, a large diverse population. So the connection to this community with the type of work that I do, it's small. So when I promoted my work outside of Iowa on a national scale first, I realized how large the community was of people that did connect to that type of work. Um, and it was special and personal to them. And that, the value is associated with that is when someone has a connection and it means something to them. And it's also still quality work. Um, so April, I sold my first piece outside the state of Iowa. Um, and I may have sold a piece or two before, but on my own, I guess, um, sold my first piece in April. I had like 600 followers. Most of the followers I had, I knew here in Des Moines and Iowa, they were friends or family or whatever. And it just started to accelerate real fast. I started to get a lot of love and attention and reception from my work. And it made me committed to even continue to work towards mastery of my craft. And fast forward to today, I have over 20,000 followers and I have no gallery, I have no management, I have no PR, I have no back office, I have no front office, I have me. So um, that's, both, that's both production, maintenance, fulfillment, service, website, all that stuff. So. Yeah, we were talking before that you're, it's really top to bottom for you. I mean, you even distribute your art and everything like that, which uh, is, is admirable. I want to talk about your, your activism because that's a huge part of what you do, like you mentioned. One thing that st stood out to me was actually featured in DSM Magazine was your Black Lives Matter, a Harvesting Humanity project where uh, there was actually a projection of George Floyd with Black Lives Matter on a grain bin. Why was that so important for you, that project? Um, because for me, when you think about like listening languages and how people receive information, um, some people receive it well when you, when you yell, when you're loud, when you're boisterous, when you're passionate. And I, I'm staying away from the word aggressive because a lot of this is more passion than aggression. It's noise. Um, where others can receive information better quietly or softer or more subtly. And I thought it was an interesting play as a counter to what was seemed to be the main and most common form of protest was to take a different tone, um, do it silently, do it on a canvas that was recognizable in an area that was more disconnected with this narrative and black lives, because there aren't a lot of black lives in rural communities. They are, they do lack diversity. So when you are on the TV in a farmhouse in rural America, and you're watching the media's narrative of um, a lot of these just and, and, and fair reasons to protest, um, you may not understand it because this is what you see. So I wanted to take a different tone and project it on something, again, that was a familiar, iconic American landscape, a canvas that was very much so identified and, and connected to rural America specifically, um, but still with that same narrative, the Black Lives Matter. And we did a selection of images that were both from past civil rights icons um, because I had noticed some people would conditionally use Martin Luther King or um, Malcolm X quotes to dismiss any form of racism that existed in them and kind of almost that one black friend that you might have. So I just wanted to dismiss any reasons for being disconnected. I wanted to dismiss any stereotypes that people may have had um, around George Floyd or others in his own personal life. For some reason, it felt like there was also justification of people's backgrounds 
as if it was the justification for their life being taken. And so I wanted to have a variety of both civil rights icons, um, recent murdered Americans by police officers and also children, because then that eliminates the, that, that one theme. I think that's constant in humanity is that everybody loves children, no matter their color. What was the feedback you got on that project? It was overwhelming. I mean, I probably could go back and digest a lot of it that I missed. Um, but the most consistent feedback was thank you. Um, even during the project, we had a lady pull over and stop and had tears and was crying and said, thank you. She was a white lady and she had a biracial son. Um, but it was just needed. It was something that I think it's overlooked, you know, and if you think about ecosystems and working toward in these areas where they they are disconnected from these subjects it's the areas that are voting almost against a lot of these subjects because they're not educated they don't have you see some of these people even from rural or smaller communities go off into the service or military and you'll hear the stories or they'll be in athletics and they'll go to college and they'll meet a black friend and their whole perspective, everything that they were taught changes. And you hear that. So how can we do that proactively instead of reactively? How can we do that at, at a ground level when people are younger, um, et cetera? So those are the things I think I'm trying to challenge as I start to think about other social experiments or protests like this, even Future Forward. So you talked a little bit about your, your inspiration for your art. What's your creative process? So when you sit down and, and want to create something, what steps do you go through? Oh, it's sporadic. I have a variety of what you'd call like controlled chaos systems. Um, it's either my notebook on my phone or voice memos. That's usually where things reside um, as far as creative ideas. I've started to organize them more in series because again, just looking at back at last year, I didn't have a full year even of like having this as an organized business with a plan and a practice and some goals and organization. So I'm changing things a little bit. I have a few series planned out this year. I've started a couple studies where I'll do a, um, a faster, less controlled um, rendition of the work to see how I feel or things that I want to pull into the final work or things I want to omit. And so that's part of the process. Um, I'll sketch up um, a drawing. Um, uh, in some cases, I may project if um, I'm crunched on time, sometimes I'll freehand, but it always starts with a sketch, whether it's on paper um, or it's um, on the canvas, or if it's a digital collage of something I pulled together and manipulated a bit to get some reference points within the image. Because I'm self-taught, so I'm also still learning and evolving. So I'm coming from a digital background. I think I, I embrace a variety of techniques to get the finished product that I really like still having an organic paint brush and brush stroke being seen in the work um, to where it doesn't look commercial at all. You can really see that it is organic. So, yeah. What's upcoming for you? What's, what are in the plans for 2021? Uh, for 2021, I have a couple projection projects. Um, I won't give a ton of details on those. One of them is around social justice. And one of them is, I'd say more is a, um, it, it is another, it would be another social experiment, but it'd be more in still form. So it'd be an image that would be captured. I wouldn't want an audience and it'd be something that'd be distributed after as a really powerful image. 
Um, whereas the Harvesting Humanity project from last year, it just happened to be a social experiment that ended up also being a really powerful image, you know? Um, so when those happen, it's cool. So I have a couple of those planned. Um, I had a couple shows planned. Those are postponed right now because of COVID. Um, so me personally, because I've never had a big boy, quote unquote, a, a big person's um, art show, I'll probably have that on my horizons. I, I am embracing being independent and I'm considering relaunching um, a, a gallery model. And I don't even want to say gallery, I'd say more of an advisory model because I built a blueprint now. Uh, my, my passion is the arts. My passion is also serving underserved, serviced or underrepresented people and uplifting them. And so if I have a blueprint that would work for other people that both are minorities or underrepresented and have an affinity or passion or investment with arts, I would like to organize that in more of a business um, form and a platform that can um, disrupt, and I say that loosely, but disrupt the current gallery model, um, which for those that don't know, straight across, it's 50% fee that's charged to the artist. And in the end, that net is passed to the buyer. So, um, so those are some things I have for goals and um, continuing to educate both independent artists, emerging artists, and also budding collectors. Um, I have so much feedback from my collectors. Um, I have 370 plus customers from last year and half of them, maybe a little less are brand new collectors. The others are novice collectors, but I'm always receiving feedback from them. So both passing that to artists and collectors alike um, benefits the art ecosystem, not just myself. Yeah, we'll be definitely watching. And for the audience, how can they follow along with your journey? Yeah, I'm only on Instagram. Um, Instagram makes me have a Facebook, but um, I'm all about protecting my mental peace. So I stay off the social platforms quite a bit, but Instagram is my main bread and butter. It's where all my business um, relationships are fostered, um, or at least where they typically start. Um, so you can follow me at by be more that's b-y-b-m-o-o-r-e or you can check me out on my website and that's the same thing by be more.com well it was a pleasure chat with you robert and i really appreciate you coming on yeah likewise you have a good day just a reminder you can subscribe to our podcasts on apple Podcasts, google play music spotify stitcher and more talk to you next time <laughs>